Thank you, Pastor Chad. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for leading us in our music and also introducing a new song to us. And I thought everybody did really good. Beautiful song, powerful words. And I appreciate your leadership and, of course, Amy's accompanying there on the piano in such a beautiful way. This morning, I would invite you to open up your worship guides. And uh, if we just go right to the middle, you'll notice that Pastor Chad, every Sunday, has just done a marvelous job of providing us a place to make notes. How about that? And I want to encourage you to get your pens out or pencils, or if you don't have one, there's probably one sticking in the back of the pew in front of you. And, and you know, I, I heard on the radio, and I know you can believe everything you hear on the radio, right? It's not like TV. But uh, that people who write notes, as opposed to typing notes, uh, actually, students in college, it's been proven in studies, they perform better. It's something about writing something down that, ha- has a, 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 that enables you to remember better. So, there it is. I encourage you, take some notes. And as you do, you can go ahead and open up your Bible to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. And you can write that down in your notes if you'd like. But we'll be looking at this passage and, and certainly, you know, from the emphasis of this weekend on discipleship, some may be thinking, why such a big deal? Why is discipleship and being a disciple something that we put so much emphasis upon? And, and why give so much uh, attention to that? I think there's a very sobering verse in the Gospel of Matthew, not the passage we're going to look at right now. We'll, we'll look at chapter 4. But over in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says a few words that I think just profoundly shake the foundation. And it should. It should shake the foundation of every religious person. When Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And in other places, Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Didn't I join the church? Didn't I give in the offering? Lord, Lord, didn't I contribute to a a worthy charitable cause? Lord, Lord, didn't I give some money to that homeless man that was standing out by the intersection? Lord, Lord, didn't I help my neighbor once? And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Imagine that. Religious people. People calling themselves Christians. Going to hell. Dr. Billy Graham said, one of the greatest mission fields in America is in the pews of the churches today. Because so many people who are nominal Christians, who are loosely associated with the church, have the false notion that they're okay with God when biblically the fact is they're not even believers. I want to encourage you to give serious thought to what God's Word will say to us about the importance of being sincere, authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus called among the multitudes. He called those to follow Him, to be His disciples. And in your Bibles, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 4, in Jesus, early in Jesus' ministry, after he had been out and was tempted in the wilderness and, of course, successfully re- rebuked the devil, 
And he came back preaching the message of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But then in verse 18 of Matthew's gospel, just imagine watching Jesus as he's coming along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. In verse 18, now Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then they immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son, uh, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with uh, Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. You know, it's interesting that, and the first thing you can write down in your notes is, the first point I want to make is the disciples' election. For those of us who are indeed disciples of Jesus Christ and followers of Christ, consider yourself blessed in the fact that God has elected you. You know, Jesus didn't go and initiate in His ministry to the temple of Jerusalem and, and, and poise Himself up there on some pinnacle or on the front steps of the temple of, of Jerusalem and say, here I am, the Son of God. Everybody that wants to be a disciple Come and sign up and you're in. It was a very personal call. A very specific call. Jesus intentionally and deliberately selected those who would be His disciples. They were selected by the Son of God. And so are we who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus told His disciples at another point in the Gospel of John in chapter 15 verse 16... In John 15, 16, Jesus said to His disciples, You didn't choose Me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. It would last. So that whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He may give it to you. But did you hear what He said? It's not like they went through all the plethora of all the religions that were there. and There were many in that first century Roman Society. There were many gods to choose from, many religions, and they didn't just say, oh, I think we'll be Christians. We think we'll follow Jesus. Jesus said, I chose you. Well, guess what, brothers and sisters? Jesus chose you. We are the result of His divine election. God, working through His Spirit, has chosen those who would be His people. And listen to how Paul puts it in the, in the uh, book of Ephesians in chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Paul describes this so clearly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Anybody here in existence before the foundation of the world? I doubt that. You get the drift. Before anything was created, God chose you. He knew you. He knew your name. He knew every characteristic about you and me. And if you were walking as a living disciple of Jesus Christ, it was because before the foundation of the world, it says, He chose us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. 
having predestined us as to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God knew us. He called us. He elected us to be his disciples. What an awesome honor that is. It breaks my heart to hear born again believers in Jesus Christ. People calling themselves Christians. And they talk about, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And, and I'm a Republican. And I'm a member of the Lions Club. As if it's just one of many things to tack onto your resume. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand the significance of what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, he has elected us, but understand that we still have the responsibility when convicted of the Holy Spirit. And this is how it happens. The Spirit of God convicts us, makes us aware of our sinfulness. The Bible tells that in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Spirit of God convicts our hearts that we still have the responsibility to repent of our sins. That's what Jesus was preaching then. Guess what? He still preaches it today. Repent means to turn. It means to turn your back on sinful self, sinful world, sinful relationships, sinful ideas, sinful habits, and follow Christ. We have the responsibility to exercise faith. And faith is putting our trust, our absolute unreserved faith in Jesus Christ. We trust Him as our Lord. Not just for a season, but for every day of our life. We make Him the Lord of our life. Listen, the Bible says we die to our old sinful nature. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you choose to make Him the Lord of your life, that old sinful nature of yours, that old flesh nature of yours, that old self-centered nature of yours has to die. We have died with Christ in His death. We have been raised with Him in the new life. That's why we celebrate when a a new convert to Christianity, a new disciple is baptized because the beauty of that symbolism of of them being Lord under the water to say, I have died when I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I made Him the Lord of my life and put Him on the throne of my heart. Then I died to myself and in Christ, just as Jesus came forth out of that grave on the third day after He was buried in in faith, my faith in Christ has enabled me to share in that resurrection. I am a new creature forgiven of my sins cleansed of my sins and now i will obediently follow the lord jesus christ not just on sunday not just at christmas not just at easter but every day of my life every day i will live and follow him so we are we are selected by the son of god as a part of our divine election by god But not only are we selected by the Son of God, but ladies and gentlemen, we are drawn by the Spirit of God. We're drawn by the Spirit of God. Let that kind of sink in. I want you to go back to the, go go over to the Gospel of John because it's interesting. In our seminar this weekend, Dr. David Platt expounded upon this passage of Scripture. And and this follows this episode in Jesus' ministry there in the region of Galilee and Capernaum. You remember Jesus fed the 5,000. That was quite a miracle. And people were talking and the buzz was this man can bring food out of nothing. He fed 5,000 plus of us. We ate and there was leftovers. And and so the word was out. The throngs were coming and following after Jesus. 
And they went to find Him. And when they found Him, they were saying to Him, Hey, we want more bread. Give us more of this bread. And Jesus said something profound there. And in John's Gospel, and we look at verse 32, chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, talking about Moses and the manna, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Look at verse 35. Jesus, Jesus says, well, verse 34, they said, well, Lord, give us, give us the, this bread always. And Jesus said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And it's so interesting because when Jesus began to share with them that they were seeking after physical bread, and He says, no, what you need to be seeking after is that eternal bread that comes down from heaven who is the Son of God who can satisfy your every longing for eternity. And the Scripture tells us that when they began to see that Jesus was not speaking of feeding them physically, He was talking about a, a, a spiritual relationship with Him, then it says that the multitudes began to go their way. Look at verse 66, if you will. He says, John records from that time, many of His disciples... Not everybody calling themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. There were many people who followed. There were multitudes of people who considered themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. But they were just followers. They were, they were sensationalists. They were those who were just along for the benefits. Just along for the perks, if you will. And it says there in verse 66, from that time many of His disciples went away and walked with Him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Then Simon Peter answered Him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we we have come to believe that You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are many people who are nominally associated with Christianity. There are many people who are loosely tied to the church. There are many people, for them, for them Christianity is a loose association. When the Bible says that discipleship is a divine, supernatural transformation, it's a radical change of our being. And it is the Spirit of God that draws us to Christ. Look in John's Gospel again with me there. In verse 37, look what Jesus says in verse 37, chapter 6 of John. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Do you remember what Jesus said earlier? Many will say, Lord, Lord but we're not into the kingdom of heaven. Here he says, only those that the Father draws to me. Only those that the Father draws to me. Look at verse 44. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up the last day. It is God who draws individuals to Christ. Look at verse 65. Therefore, Jesus says, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is, has been granted to him by my Father. It is a divine work of the Spirit of God that draws an individual to Jesus Christ. Nobody goes out there just looking for religion and finds Jesus and follows Him as a sincere disciple. The only way that you come to Christ is that God's Spirit singles you out and leads you to Jesus Christ as a result of the call that God has placed upon your life, as we said from the beginning of time. And it's so interesting as we look at the call of the, of the various disciples. Because it's almost like they were called in different ways, but they were all called by Christ. The passage that I just read, we read together out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 18, where Jesus came along the Sea of Galilee and He, he saw these fishermen, Andrew and Simon Peter, fishing. And He called and says, come and follow Me. Well, you know what? It's interesting. That was not the first encounter that Jesus had with Peter and Andrew. So their call to discipleship was actually a process that goes back to the the first chapter of John, the Gospel of John, when John the Baptist was still going big in his ministry. And and, and it says that John and two of his disciples looked up and they saw Jesus and and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And it says that two of the disciples of John chose to follow after Christ, just checking him out. They went and stayed with him a while with Jesus. And it turns out that one of those men, those, one of those disciples of John was Andrew. And Andrew happened to be the brother of Simon Peter. So that was the first contact that, that Andrew and, P- and Peter had with Jesus was then. They, they probably made some loose association with the Lord. They probably liked his teachings and, and, and probably followed him somewhat, but that was not the beginning of really their call, of this, or that was not their formal call to discipleship. It was the beginning of it. It was a process. It is interesting because if you hold that thought and go over to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5, you'll find that Jesus encounters Andrew and Peter again. In fact, if you back up into chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, in verse 38, before we get to chapter 5, it's so interesting because there's a a couple passages that talks about Jesus going into the house of Simon. Simon Peter. Jesus visited in the home of Simon Peter and actually healed his mother-in-law. And she got up and miraculously healed and she served. So, so there's Jesus again. He knew, he, he knew Peter. He knew uh, his family. He, he visited in their home. He did this. But then in chapter 5, it's interesting, of, of Luke's gospel, you'll see Jesus intersecting Peter and Andrew again. And this is when Jesus was teaching by the, the, the Sea of Galilee in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. 
And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when he, they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. And, and, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners, who would be James and John, in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they uh, began to sink. I've always had dreams of having a fishing day like that, Brother Charlie. My goodness, and Brother Mark. <laughs> In my dreams. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. You see, the blinders are coming off. The revelations, you know, he knew Jesus. He'd encountered Jesus with John the Baptist earlier in his ministry. He had Jesus in his home, but now all of a sudden he sees something as a fisherman that he makes him see that this is not an ordinary rabbi. This is not an ordinary man. This man before me in my boat out here on the Sea of Galilee with my boat about to sink with all these fish has to be the Son. He has to be God. Nobody can do this. And suddenly the light goes on and Peter says, just out of true confession, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which had taken, and, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. So you see, there was. A, I want you to see, sometimes God works a process in calling people to be his disciples. Let me personalize that. You've heard part of my testimony when I talked about growing up in a little rural church back home, uh, Calvary Baptist, and about the age of nine years old. You know, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. I had Christian parents, godly parents, godly Christian grandparents on both sides. I had, you know, I was just blessed to be in the midst of so many wonderful Christians. So just the, 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 the thing to do was, you know, as you got older, you became a Christian. I remember one night as a, as a young lad, I, I began to feel the tug of the Spirit of God. The preacher was preaching on, on an evangelistic message on John 3.16 and, and, you know, it began to settle in to me. I, I began to feel the Lord tugging at my heart, you know, when He talked about uh, our sins and going to hell. And, and I realized, like a lot of my friends, that we wanted to do something, so I did what everybody else did. I went forward. Now, that was the initial that was the initial working of God in my life as a young lad at 9 and 10 years old I went forward I, I told a preacher I wanted to pray a prayer I prayed a prayer and it wasn't long after that I was baptized you know went through all the formalities of what we considered to be becoming a Christian and being a part of the church I continued to go to church there and then went on off to college and all but I'm going to tell you something that was not the moment of my call as a disciple of Jesus Christ and the reason I know that is I look at my life and I look back at my life at that time as a teenager and then going off to college, I know good and well Jesus Christ was not the Lord of my life. I know that by my attitudes. I know that by my actions. I know that by my relationships. I was just as worldly as any other person out there who never professed Christ. But Jesus introduced himself to me as a young lad as if to get my attention and cause me to begin to think. It wasn't until I was 24 years old, just when we were just getting ready to launch into the great challenge of parenthood. And Jan announced to me that I was going to be a daddy. And I don't know why God chose to use that moment, but he did. And he began to settle in upon me. Guess what, Charlie? You need a radical change of your life. 
If you're going to be a father, you're going to take the responsibilities of being the head of your home, then there's got to be some radical... Listen, it was as if Jesus came by the Sea of Galilee and I was there with my nets and I had my career at that time and I had my own goals and aspirations. But the Lord said to me, come and follow me. How do I know I was made a disciple at that time? Because I know there was a radical change in me. And my priorities changed and my goals changed and it changed me as a person. It changed me as a husband. I see Jan shaking her head and unfortunately it's affirmingly. <laughs> and I began to follow Jesus Christ. It was a process for me. But the call as a disciple is not always a process because we know good and well that there are other instances in the scripture where Jesus simply walks up as he did with Philip in John chapter 1. And says, come on, Philip, follow me. And he did, immediately. We know that in the scriptures that he did right here at the Sea of Galilee. James and John didn't have the benefit of having a previous engagement with Jesus Christ. Yet he said to them, come, follow me. They dropped their nets. They left their father. They left their business. And they came and they followed Jesus. It was an instantaneous decision. In Matthew's Gospel chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus was coming along the way. He saw a successful tax collector by the name of Levi. Also, we know him as Matthew. Jesus looked at this successful tax collector with all of his money and his wealth and his financial security and said, come and follow me. And the Bible says that Matthew dropped everything, business and everything, and walked and followed Christ and never looked back. We know that there was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, which is his business as a zealous Jew at that time, a Pharisee, if you will. And we know that Jesus intersected his life on the road to Damascus and there he struck Saul of Tarsus down blind off of his horse onto the ground prostrate before him. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Let me tell you something. That was an absolute turnaround moment in the life of the Apostle Paul. He never looked back. So for some, it's a gradual process. For some, it is a radical moment in time, instantaneously. What are these all, whether you recall in a process or an instantaneous moment, what are all these disciples, what do we all have in common? Is that Christianity is more than a mere religious affiliation. It's not just being affiliated with a church. It's not just calling ourselves a nominal name like Christian. It is an absolute life-changing commitment. It is an unmistakable supernatural regeneration. There is a radical change that comes over the individual when you choose to follow after Jesus Christ. So having looked at the disciples' election, let me move you along. And if you're taking notes, you can simply write down point number two, the disciples' transformation. Because there is a change. There is a radical change from within because you die to your old sinful self. I like Dr. Avery Willis. He was the author of a very popular and effective discipling tool for Southern Baptists called Master Life. He was at one time a missionary in the, in, in the Far East. And then he came back to write Master Life and to help promote that, to help Christians be discipled. He became a part of the leadership of the International Mission Board, but he had a definition for Christian discipleship. And you'll notice he doesn't call it a program. He said Christian discipleship is a process of developing a lifelong, obedient, personal relationship with Jesus Christ 
in which Christ transforms our character into Christ-likeness. And He changes our values into kingdom values. And He involves us in His mission in our home, in our church, and in the world. And let me ask you, has that process taken place in your life? Is that process taking place in your life? Indeed, is Jesus changing the orientation of your life? And is there evidence of a glorious transformation going on inside of your life? Because that's what discipleship is about. It's an intimate connection with our Master. An intimate. Listen, think of the person that you are the closest to in all the world. The the family member or the friend or associate that you're the closest to in all the world. Picture them in your mind. Get them visualized. It may be your spouse. It may be one of your children. It may be an old friend or maybe someone that you've worked with and you're just so close to them. Just imagine the person you're the closest to in all the world. And I want to challenge you to understand that when you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus is closer. He's infinitely closer. And I'll show you how he demonstrates that in a wonderful parable in John's Gospel in chapter 15. Many of you are familiar with it. Dr. David Platt referred to it. Jesus said in John's chapter, Gospel chapter 15 in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. And believe you me, it's a tangled jungle out there. There are many vines that you can attach yourself to, ladies and gentlemen. There are the vines of of friendship. There's a vine of popularity. There's a vine of materialism. There's a vine of careers. Oh, listen, you can attach yourselves to all kinds of vines, but i got news for you. There's only one vine that will bring eternal life. There's only one vine that will bring you into a relationship with the God who created you. There's only one vine that will ultimately result in you being in the presence of God for eternity in heaven. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it might bear more fruit. You know, I, I, I like fruit trees. I'm not an expert at growing fruit. And it's a good thing I don't make my living off of it. Daria likes my grapes, so it's, I grow my wild muscadines. But anyway, um, you know... I, I, I could go along, and I remember one year we had a bad uh, uh, thunderstorm in my apple tree. Biggest, one of the biggest limbs off the apple tree, trunks of the apple tree, just split. It didn't fall off the tree, it just kind of split and was hanging down. It was loaded with little apples, and I was thinking, oh man, I, got, I just hear them screaming, save me, save me. <laughs> so, being the good apple tree tender that I am, you know, I rush out there and and being my dad's son, I get a roll of duct tape. He believes you can fix the world with duct tape. He was pleased, so pleased, when they used duct tape on the space shuttle one time. He said, see, I told you, they hadn't even found a good use for it. But anyway, I went out there and, and scurried up the tree and pulled that big limb up and duct taped it and duct taped it and duct taped it. You know, it was still, you know, loosely connected to the tree. Well, you know how that ends. The, the branch died, the apples died, and I wasted about 13 feet of duct tape. <laughs> Just being loosely connected to 
something doesn't cut it, ladies and gentlemen. And there are a lot of people who are just content to be loosely connected to the church. Loosely connected to Christianity. You know, they, they just do just enough that people might think that they are Christians or think that they are church members. But I guess I, you, Jesus says, look, for those branches that don't bear fruit, that are loosely connected, the Father will... Whoosh, Jesus said in verse 4 of John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. There is prophetic eternal judgment significance to that verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Talk about being intimately connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. We are in Him. He is in us. And if you remember in Matthew's Gospel chapter 28 verse 20, Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always. He is with us. He is in us, with us, and we are in Him. Our connection to Christ is absolutely essential. Look at Ephesians in chapter 2. Paul helps us to understand that. Our association and connection and, and intimate relationship with Jesus is absolutely essential. In Ephesians, in chapter 2, listen to what Paul says there in verse 5. He says, even we were dead in trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. How is that possible? Look back at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, because we are connected, God called us, we respond by faith, and we're connected to Christ we are given life in Jesus Christ. And He begins to transform us from that old sinful nature to become a child of God. Bearing fruit for God. Is that important? Yes. Back in John 15, 8, Jesus said, Here is, here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You want to make God happy? Bear fruit. And you do that by being connected to the Master, Jesus Christ. And when we make the step of of choosing to follow Jesus Christ and making Him the Lord of, of our lives and, and we are in Him and He is in us, that transformation begins. Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. And stop being conformed to this world, but be you transformed. By the renewing of your mind, let the Spirit of God begin to transform. When we choose to follow Christ as disciples, there is a great and glorious divine supernatural transformation that goes on. He transforms our thoughts. He transforms our desires. He transforms our will. He transforms our relationships and our very purpose in life. And our very purpose in life is in Christ. As a disciple... You're not living for yourself. You say, well, what about my education? What about my career? 
you, you, you can still have an education. You can still have a career. You still have friends. I mean, it's not like Jesus wants you to just stop living. But suddenly, He is the very purpose of your life. It's what Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 121 when he says, For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. The purpose of my life is Christ. Everything is centered in Him. I find my very being in Christ. My whole goal in life is to please Him. And in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ with us. Christ in us. And we are in him. And that's the connection that we have with the master. But let me lead you a little bit further. To understand the commission that we have by the master. Once we make the decision to follow Christ. Once we have identified ourselves as a follower of Christ. As a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not just a matter of putting everything on hold. And cruising through life. God gives us a commission. Many of you know it by heart in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, as Jesus is preparing to, to, to ascend into heaven. This is after his crucifixion and his resurrection. And he's meeting with his disciples for the last time in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, Jesus is there on the mountainside and his disciples have come. And I thought it was interesting that whereas most of them believed, there were some that even doubted then. But... In verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them. Verse 18 of Matthew 28. And He says, All authority is given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Jesus gives us a command. Let me tell you something. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a disciple, that is a command for all believers. No exceptions, no excuses. This is our daily life. This is our daily priority. We ought to be involved in praying about those who are lost, who don't know Jesus Christ. But not only that, we ought to be praying that God would use us, that He would take us to them, that He would enable us to develop relationships with them so that we can get to know them. But you got to go first, right? And that's what Jesus says. Go, therefore, and get to know them. Find out their likes and dislikes. Find out the things that they're enjoying in life. Find out what's going on in their life and begin to develop a relationship that would bring you by the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to show them under the power of the Spirit of God the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go and know and show that's the Great Commission. Help those who are lost. We were once lost. We're helping them to find the way. And that's the way it works. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. We, have been, we who have been so blessed to have the Gospel imparted to us to be able to understand the, the wonderful joy of salvation and the wonderful privilege of being a part of the Kingdom of God. We now have the mandate to go and to find others who don't have that yet. And share with them what Christ has done in our lives that they may in turn come to experience if, if this is God's will for their lives. i got news for you and this will take some of the pressure off. You won't save anybody, nor will I. The saving responsibility rests with the Spirit of God. But we do have the responsibility to go. 
We do have the responsibility to get to know people who are lost and undone without Jesus Christ. And we do have the responsibility whenever the, uh, uh, the Lord enables us to show them the truth of the message of the gospel. Okay, so you've done that. You went to your classmate. You went to your neighbor. You went to your co-worker. You took the risk of building a relationship with a non-believer. And you began to have a good relationship. And you're talking. And they're opening up. And you're opening up. And finally the Spirit of God said, show them. Go ahead, show them. And so you begin to give them your testimony. You talk about what it means to be a Christian and, and, and how that experience happened in your life. And, and very simply from the Bible, what the Scripture says about sin and, and about Jesus, God's Son, and about salvation and about coming to Christ and living eternally in heaven and being a child of God. And they, they, they choose to make that, that, that decision by faith. The Spirit of God convicts them and they are chosen by God to be a disciple. And then they accept Jesus Christ. Then what do you do? Give them a sign of card? Give them a star? You go on your merry way? That's, the process is incomplete. Jesus didn't say, go make converts. He said, make disciples. So when you go back to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 28, and you look at verse 20, you'll find out that part, the other part of the formula that we so often leave out. He says, go and make disciples. But then in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. These are people that probably don't know the Scriptures. These are people that are not familiar with the Word of God. These are people that, things that you take for granted, they don't know. You may have to do a one-on-one discipleship with them. And what a great way to build a healthy relationship to say, listen, you want to get together once in a while and we'll just open up the Scriptures and I'll, uh, you, you can ask questions and we'll talk about your relationship with the Lord and help you to grow. Or you say, I can't, I've got another idea too. I'm meeting with a home group and we have Bible study and it's just a small group and we have relationships. We get to know each other. It's not too intimidating. Would you like to come and be a part of that? And they say, oh, Sure. Or you say, hey, look, i got a fantastic Christian growth group at church that meets before we have worship. And, you know, it's just a bunch of down-to-earth people who are studying the Word of God, learning a lot of things and growing. Why don't you come and be a part of that? But the idea is you just don't leave them hanging. We have a responsibility to go, to know, and to show, but also to help those who God saves to grow. You know, the church, our church and any evangelical church, ought to be a factory of disciples. A factory of disciples. Disciples being made. Disciples growing. Disciples going. Disciples bringing in new disciples. Disciples growing. Disciples going. You see what I mean? Constant, constant process of, 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 of multiplying believers in Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ. Heaven forbid that we would become a warehouse of converts. Where people just get comfortable and come in and go through the motions and everything. Listen, I'd much rather be a factory of disciples. Finally, I want you to look with me quickly as we talk about the disciples' satisfaction. Because, you know, you, you may be wondering, well, there's so many other things out there in life that I, I, I like to do. And, and listen, there are some enjoyable things in life. But there's nothing that can satisfy like a relationship with Jesus Christ. Following Christ as a disciple. Look in John, in John's Gospel, chapter 6, again, this is that scenario where Jesus, the people are coming to Him and says, give us the bread. You fed us all 5,000 before. We, we want some more of this bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus is imparting to them divine wisdom to help them to understand that, that the ultimate pleasure is not in, in the things of this world. 
I know Dr. Platt made reference to C.S. Lewis, one of the great classical Christian writers. And C.S. Lewis made the statement, listen to what he says. He's talking about Christians in the contemporary time, his and ours now. He says, we are far too easily pleased with the entrapments of this world. Like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slums because they cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. And that's the tragic scenario of the human race. The vast majority of the people of this world have settled for the menial things of this world. Money. Careers. Prosperity. Popularity. And they live for that. As if that's really what it's all about. Accumulating things. And the sad thing is there are some who call themselves Christians who are just as sensualistic and materialistic and humanistic as the unbelieving world. When Jesus says to this crowd that comes out to Him, He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger. He who believes in Me shall never thirst. Christ is the ultimate satisfaction. He is the ultimate pleasure. And putting Him first in our lives and making Him the priority of our lives and pleasing Him and serving Him brings pleasure more than we can imagine. That lasts for eternity. Jesus says you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. Your soul will be fed. You will be satisfied here and in eternity. I'm going to tell you something. You can have all the money that you want. Win all the lotteries you possibly win and stash all that money in the biggest banks that there are. Buy all the things that you possibly think about buying. Get your name in all the magazines and, and be as popular as anybody that's out there in, in sports or, or movies or politics. Well, I don't know about politics, but anyway, popular people out there. And when your time comes... And it is coming, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die. When that moment comes, what good is it? You can be filthy rich, immensely powerful, greatly popular, and find yourself in hell for eternity. And there, where is the satisfaction? When Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I satisfy your soul now. And the most content people on the face of the earth are those who genuinely lead a Christian life, who follow Christ. And they learn, like Paul says, to be content with, with much and then with little. Because for them to live is Christ, even to die is gain. You remember the parable, and I'll close with this, in Luke cha- Gospels, Luke's Gospel chapter 12, Jesus talked about the rich man who had fields that were just bountifully full they were bearing forth. Oh, he was one more progressive farmer. Grain coming in. And he was saying, oh my, my. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what. I'll just tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And, and I'll fill them up. And I'll say to myself when I got all that plentiful harvest in. Oh, self. Sit back and relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. And you know that's the plight 
of the majority of the people walking the face of the earth today. That's the satisfaction they're looking for. And Jesus goes on to say in that parable, and you know it. That night God said to him, You fool. This day your life will be required of you. Now, who's going to benefit from all of those bulging barns now? Oh, listen, let me tell you something. The disciple of Jesus Christ craves someone, not something. Make sure that the urgent desire of your heart is for Jesus and Him alone. True disciples gladly forsake the trinkets of this world, having discovered the surpassing pleasure of the treasure of Christ. It doesn't mean that you can't have possessions. It can't mean, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have money. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to enjoy things of life. But He's saying, get your priorities in order. Don't go chasing after the things of the world at the neglect of your relationship with Jesus Christ because only He can satisfy your soul for eternity. Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction of the disciple. Amen? Yes, He is. And I pray that you know that you know that you know that when that day comes and you stand before Him, You'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your salvation. Instead of depart from me, I never knew you.